0: here are Dave and Greg.
1: It's not opposite week this week, Mr. Jago. No, no, I'm, I'm I'm, 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 I'm gonna be back driving the bus, as it were, if that's okay. Well, I don't you're,
2: mind you driving the bus. further.
1: <laughs> you're, you're missing your, your notes. We, uh, we have um, Dave Wolpen. In the studio, who is uh, got a great beard and is reminding me of Greg Hemmings right now because we and we have to we have to give a shout to Greg everything. So every time you know we get on, we we've been doing a good job. We try to figure mm. out where he's at this week. This week, yeah. we don't know. Yeah, but, I think uh, he looks better than Greg. Actually. I'll embody his spirit. Yeah, spirit. Yeah. So so welcome, and 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 Mr. Wayne Jago is guest hosting once again. Glad to be here. Yes, great to have him. Uh, Two time guest. Um, five-time guest host.
2: I can't believe the fifth, and especially, Dave, to have you here. That's great.
1: Yeah, yeah. and as you know, Dave, we, rather than us muck it up and inter- and, and introduce someone, <laughs> we let them introduce themselves in their own brilliant way. So over to you, my friend.
3: So I'm Dave Wolpen from Credles Corner Market and Dave's Produce Packs, and I've got another business in Halifax called Driver Dave's. I swear, I I, I, I I didn't I didn't mean to have Dave in two of the business names, but Dave's I, a good name. I, I I didn't I didn't name <laughs> two, I didn't actually even name any of them. They kind of got named for me, but <laughs> but uh, I uh, I spent a lot of time trying to decide how should I introduce myself in general because I spent a lot of time resisting who I am, which is at heart an entrepreneur. The word entrepreneur growing up for me carried a stigma of a lot of people that uh, use business cards and websites before they actually have a business. But um, I am an entrepreneur.
1: <laughs> you're holding you're I, owning it. You're gonna I'm, embrace uh, it.
3: Yeah, I'm 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 embracing it. Wallace McCain Institute taught me that. Okay. No, no shame for the ninety hour work weeks.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so in 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 are like well, you're an entrepreneur through and through and um and how long have you like how long would you, you know, been out there? I mean, where did it start? Age four. <laughs> and you're like, what, 14 now?
3: 16. Double that. I'm 28 now. Oh, he's young yeah. man.
1: Awesome.
3: So I guess, you know, where did it start? So uh, the rapid fire version of my story would be, uh, you know, when I could walk, I was planting stuff or rolling in the dirt, whichever you want to call it, in the garden. And there started my fascination with uh, how nutrients reassemble themselves into food and then ultimately humans and everything else that's living in the world. So I think I entered my first carrots into the St. John Exhibition when I was seven. I won second prize. My brother won third, I think. So that was a big moment for me. <laughs> older or younger? Older, eight years older. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. good. you The, beat the him. beginning Ouch. of the conquest, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I started picking gooseberries and red currants and other berries and rhubarb as soon as I was, you know, tall enough to be able to even reach those different fruits. And I, I did that for a number of years. When I was nine, I had chickens. When I was 11, I started uh, as an employee at Cruddles Corner Market when I was 13, I became like a regular, a regular person doing shifts at Craddles. When I you was you
1: can't even say employee, can you?
3: It's it's uh, <laughs> a regular
1: person. Doing well, yeah, regular.
3: So I, I, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I wrote a little piece in one of my newsletters a couple weeks ago just about how there's a lot of nostalgia in that building for me because I've re- I don't feel like I am defined by it, but at the same time, it's been my whole life. Uh, it's, mm. So it's kind it's 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 a little bit weird for me, but. Um, When I was 15, I started in the cookhouse. When I was 16, by default, they had no one else. I became manager. At 19, I became general manager. Uh, So the same time I started Dave's Produce Pack, or maybe that was the year before, it was also this time I started driving students to and from the airport while I was in university in Halifax. When I was 22, I purchased Credles. And by that time, Dave's Produce Packs had tripled in size. And driver Dave's entered legitimacy as a as, a, as an operation. And so Dave's Produce Packs grew into a large box program. Basically, we grow a lot of vegetables and sell them directly to families. A lot of people understand that concept as a CSA, but we a really... CSA, what is Community-supported agriculture. Okay. We really avoid that because I feel like that has absorbed some stigma and political affiliation whereas really we we want to be as neutral as possible because i want food to both be physically accessible to people but also philosophically accessible and then driver daves grew into the largest airport transportation service in halifax we do about 30000 passengers a year and Credles. Well, Credles is is gonna be the meat of today's conversation, I suspect. Hmm. Uh, if you wanted to be. So yes. <laughs> so Credles vision is to to be a catalyst to developing and creating a regionally representative grocery store model that inspires agricultural excellence and cultivates culinary culture. And to unpack that a little bit, I feel like if we're really gonna define grocery store, most of the things that you think of as being in a grocery store, aren't edible. And so really, I want to bring a grocery store back to what it was years ago. Or instead of bringing it back, let's bring it forward to what it should be, which is a place to get your groceries, a place where you can get edible items. And big business is great. I believe in big business in every single industry except for food. It's the only thing, in my opinion, that should be you know managed in in, in small ways, And so uh, regionally representative grocery is very important to me. And ultimately, I I feel like, you know, inspiring agricultural excellence, the grocery store should really kind of be fueled by the agricultural producers. They should have a lot of input, uh, a lot of decision making power, and we should ultimately serve them and be representatives, if you will, for the agricultural producers to serve the public. And so to cultivate culinary culture, same sort of ideas. Cultivate is a very intentional word because I feel like we have to cultivate our culture from the roots literally.
2: And when you say food in a a traditional grocery store that's not edible for the listeners, are you referring to Prepackaged food. Uh, what 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 do you mean specifically? So if we
3: define poison, if you look at the dictionary, I did recently for mm-hmm. something I was writing, you define poison. It is something that causes injury or death when ingested. High fructose corn syrup, for example, does the same thing in your body as ethanol. There's you don't have to be liberal or a health fanatic or anything to look at actual solid science and recognize that high fructose corn syrup is a poison. It's not it, good for you. It it causes injury to your body and eventually it will cause death. So things that have Chemicals which are known to harm or injure your body would not be considered food. But also, many grocery stores, as we conventionally regard them, have electronics and clothing and
2: yeah, all garbage that stuff. bags. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, And that stuff's fine.
3: I mean, there's, we need that stuff. But the but the idea of a grocery store, I think, really those things belong in a store in a big business, right? You know, I don't want to name a whole bunch, but like there are lots of big businesses that do very well at selling pallets of garbage bags. There's no point for a small batch garbage bag company. That would be ridiculous. But food is very different. So I just feel like we should have regionally representative grocery. It's the only business that I think absolutely should be small.
1: You're well, you know what's interesting is I'm listening to you like so you're you, you know, like the idea of entrepreneurism, right? Or entrepreneurship, I should say. And uh, and you're also very philosophically driven. I mean, clearly, right? Oh, clearly. Yeah. Um and and just for context purposes. I mean, Credle's corner market might not it might imply it might imply something a little bit different. Like this, so the story is a little important. Yeah. So yeah.
3: in 1980, roadside stand, eight by twelve or some or ten by sixteen, something like that. Don and Paula Credle uh, built it. Their desire was for corn to be available and strawberries to be available because they used to drive around the countryside in the uh, late 70s looking for food. And they couldn't, all these farms, and you couldn't buy it anywhere. So they had an empty corner. They put up a, well, they actually built it at their house and then dragged it down the street to the corner and set her up. And I think two or three years later, Don quit his job as an electrician and went into it full time. And, you know, they raised their family and built the business at the same time on that property. And uh, I rolled around 1988 and started, uh, I was in there before I could walk. Uh, you know, that was one of the, probably the first store, uh, to be honest, uh, Credles was probably the first store I ever went into, uh, unbeknownst to me. Uh, so that, so Cruddle, it just grew in a piece by piece by piece. And in 2011, I bought it. Over the years, Don and Paula intelligently yielded some of their mission in favor of profits. And I say intelligently because there is nothing wrong with what they did. Uh, they supported their family I uh, I'll call it bravely and passionately and perhaps stubbornly all apply uh, decided to make a change I don't know how conscious I was of what the consequences would be but the moral dilemma that I've had and you know it wasn't a, a A global problem. This was just a little, you know, a little fight within Dave. People would walk into the store having a preconceived notion of what a product would be. And I started to recognize that their preconceived notion did not match reality. And I would come to realize and become conscious of the fact that the whole industry is like that. So you'd pick up a bottle of strawberry jam, for example, Mm -hmm. and you would assume it was crafted, and I use the word crafted intentionally, by a matriarchal type lady with lo- nice local strawberries. That's the image that comes to mind, right? For most people, mm-hmm. I suspect. I can see that, yeah. The reality is that it was made by a nice lady, but she got her strawberries from Costco. Sometimes local, if she had enough, but there's nothing wrong with what she did. She was running a business, and, you know, it was good jam. Nothing wrong with that, but the point was that the assumption did not match reality, and so I that looked around the
2: store. That being that the product itself, the raw product, wasn't local, right? It, it's it's from somewhere else, right? Okay, and and, you, and
1: and and just for the so so you your your mission was to have to have locally sourced. Well, I looked around the products, store, right? Yeah,
3: and I looked at this bulk food unit that I bought, and I, and I know because I did it all, right? <laughs> I, I had been working there. It, it was my. It was like. For the, for the three, four years before that, you know, Don and Paula stepped back in, in a big way. Um, and th- that was great. Like, I wanted them to. I was having a lot of fun and making them money. And I was, you know... Ev- this is a general manager. Yeah. yeah. And it was great. Mm-hmm. I built this wall of chips. I had every type of pop that there was. I remember going into St. John and buying every type of chocolate bar. Like, I, chant- I, was, I was all over it. Just like, let's pump through product, right? But I looked around and I realized wait a second, people know Credles to be one thing, you know, this local food shop, but most of our square footage is not filled with products that match what we have. Okay, I got you. The or, perception. That match the perception, sorry. Yep. Yeah. 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 So I'll use one more example, chicken. The chicken that we had at first was just boneless, skinless chicken breast. Well, the reality is that that chicken was... Factory raised, they get 0. 0.75 square foot per bird. They're raised on genetically modified grains with uh, that are medicated. So I tried to say that just now with no slant. I just stated facts. Your it's just sweater, black and white. You know, to you. Yeah, yeah. People aren't yeah, in this room, but Dave's sweater is mostly purple, and 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 Wayne's wearing a blue shirt. Right? Those are just facts. For the fifth
1: podcast. Right? The fifth podcast. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. did somebody else mention that? No, no I'm he's talking about this being blog. a jerk. Yeah. Okay,
3: so. Um, <laughs> You know, those are just facts. So what I listed about, that, that's factory-raised chicken, period. Right. So I would have customers who would ask, oh, which farm is this chicken from? And I'd be thinking, you assumed it was from a, a you know a local farm, didn't you? Right. And yeah, as I didn't say so I would just tell them, oh, no, it's factory-raised chicken. And if they asked how it was raised, I would tell them. And I would try to do so in a very, like, even tone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> even though inside it felt wrong.
3: Well, you know, for me, it was just about the truth. Like, you were just uh, stating the customer's not the fact. always right,
2: yeah.
3: right? I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear. I'm just going to tell them the truth right. in as polite and understanding and compassionate way as possible in every situation. What Cradle sells is integrity, honesty, and experience. So I would just tell them the truth. And so after a while, I was like, "Geez, man, we we gotta we gotta make the products match the rea- like you know their perception." So that's that was the shift. Wait, that what, I, what
1: year did that happen? Like, how well,
3: like 2012. You know, ish. Yeah, and so uh, that's when I really started shifting things over and listening to what customers were asking for. Now I went too far in the other direction, but we tripled in revenue over four seasons.
2: And and how long did it take you to source? Uh, you used to check in earlier, but to find those uh, manufacturers, vendors, farmers, growers, whoever that align with your core value of that's what you want to represent.
3: Yeah, I had to build it. You had to build it. I had to build it. So chicken there was no there was no one producing enough chickens for a grocery store to fly through 100 chickens a week didn't exist so i raised them myself in the first year it was crazy <laughs> nuts right um, where was
1: where, where was this like where would you, where were the chickens i
3: had the chickens out in Pickwicket road yeah okay just a few few minutes away buddy mine and i we partnered on it and was Went it. for it. it. worked out. Good. It was, I mean, we didn't really make any money because we made some mistakes and weren't super efficient with the way we did things. Yeah. But I had raised chickens as a child, my whole life growing up. Um, but, you know, in your adult life, we, we kind of learned about it, right? But like turkeys, there was no place anywhere in this area, and there remains no other place in this area where you can go and get turkeys raised outdoors on non-GMO grain that have never been medicated and i'm not sitting here saying any of that anything is better or worse i don't You're i don't i don't facts. care i'm You're just stating facts, i'm yeah. just saying that customers were asking for this yeah and it wasn't available right so you saw an opportunity so yeah i saw an opportunity so i convinced a tur- a conventional turkey farmer to chuck some turkeys outside uh, at first it was just conventional grain so the chances are i you mean know, 90 95% of the soy and the and the corn and the Country are genetically modified, so it would have been most likely mostly genetically modified grain that they were eating the first year. And but we raised them outside, huge demand. So the next year, I worked with a local feed company, and we designed a, a feed program that was non-GMO. I had to source some of the ingredients, and mm. it, it was it was a neat process. thanks And so I had to build the supply. I had to build the feed supply, and then that started. So. Prior to that, non-GMO grain was you could get organic grain, way too expensive for the average consumer, but you couldn't get genetically modified or GMO-free grain for poultry in New Brunswick that I was aware of. I'm sure there was somebody growing it themselves or something, but I didn't know about it. Since then, it has become available because we built it. I don't need credit for that and I don't I don't, you know, but it's kind of neat yeah. that it became yeah. available because that happened. So I'd answer your question in many cases, and I, I did pigs as well. I raised pigs one year so on you're
1: my farm. This, So you're doing this – so you were listening to the – so if I break it down. Yeah. You're listening to the customer demand or interest, <clears throat> expectation. You, you're you saying we're not meshing it entirely, you know, for the – we're meshing it well lined. here, but not this – not here as well. So when you go and try to meet the demand with um, a supply chain, you found out it doesn't exist. So then you started working on the supply chain itself, right? Right. And, man, you – so you're, so I'm guessing I'm going to, that you're, and I don't, you know, you, uh, I know bits and pieces of this story, but you know, young guy must've been running pretty hard.
3: Oh, that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, meanwhile, Driver Davis was still taking quite a bit of my time at that time too. Yeah, I didn't even know so, about that. So, um, yeah, I was doing a lot and I never really thought about it. I just did stuff every day.
1: And you're seeing your top line
3: Increase. Exactly. So that feels good, doesn't it? Zero business training. Okay. Okay. My degree is in uh, political science and international development studies. However, I tell people philosophy because I took mostly philosophy courses anyway. I have a beef with ids but that's fine um but you know philosophy is really what i what i got out of it so philosophical and political science no business training whatsoever if you take the probably closest 30 members of my family 80 percent of them are probably educators there's like two business people right so i had had no business background no business exposure right nothing and so when did that reality i didn't know what i didn't know when did
1: that reality start creeping in
3: 2013 our sales had doubled by then i'm like shit we can't handle this i can't handle this because now i'm general manager i'm moving through this much product i had a manager who got sick at that time and so uh he disappeared and i was really like up to my ears so i was like we gotta expand so at first it was like well what what do you think i could do with a couple hundred grand i was like well maybe we could build this for 400 grand because i started looking around like my walk-in cooler was rotten Uh, i had a shoebox meat room uh not enough Cooler space, to begin with. My bakery was running 18, 20 hours a day. And if that oven broke down, I was screwed. The cookhouse had an expansion, which then the expansion became the kitchen department or the deli department. Um, in the office, we had five people and three desks. Like, it was a disaster. And to pare it off, when, so we started an expansion, but as evidence of how much of a disaster it was, we, we got a pretty rough health inspection in the fall of 2013 you know we didn't get shut, or, shut down or anything but an article got written about it i remember that yeah, yeah and it was the stuff was 90 percent of it was stuff that was grant had been basically grandfathered in by the previous health inspector we had a new new person you know rough lumber around the oven like stuff that had been there for 20 years right so it but didn't, didn't help the guys it just snowballed and the place was falling apart because you had doubled the traffic it was already old it was just crazy and I couldn't handle it. You know, I was working all the time. I, I, I just, I was trying to do everything. And I was a shitty manager. I didn't realize this at the time, but my management style was, oh, if they don't do it, I'll just fix it. So <laughs> so I, I had to kind of realize I had to set up structure and process, but I, I didn't have that. And I didn't have that insight. I was unconsciously conscious, if we'll call it that. Anyway, Farm Credit loaned me the money. I don't know Why? Yeah. Uh, because looking back now, knowing what I know, yeah, and only, only the business community really understands this way of thinking, but they really screwed up by loaning me the money. I feel the full brunt of, like, you know, I'm not taking anything off my shoulders whatsoever. Uh, my whole process has been me running head-on into the problems that I created, right? Who was looking at what financial statements? Because I didn't know how to read them. I didn't even know what a balance sheet was. Like, really. I didn't learn spreadsheets until 2012. Right. So a lot of people thought I knew more than I did. I didn't even know what I didn't know. So I didn't, you know, and I'm not trying to sound, make myself into a victim or sound like I... uh, But you you
1: know what, like, it's interesting about it, Dave, is I think, I wonder if, um, you know, sometimes our passion for something gets the best of us, right? And our just, our desire to see something succeed.
3: So Sean Dunbar put it the best. Okay, Sean's the owner
1: of Picaroons. Yeah,
3: he described my situation as... Dave's passion overwhelmed his intelligence. Okay, that's a great way to. Describe that's it. a great, great way, way, to way to describe it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, one hundred percent. I've I've used that a hundred times since. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So we, we only have we only have like seven or eight minutes left. So for the listeners and like unless you know you got to appreciate most people haven't heard the story, right?
3: Mm. So what ha- so what happened?
1: Yeah, and, and more and more importantly, so what happened? But more importantly, what you learned? Yeah. And where you are now, and how are things going?
3: So I I went for it. Uh, I borrowed a pile of money, and we expanded. The problem is, is I didn't have any, you know, financial structure. I I, I didn't have the resources, the financial guidance. I didn't have any of that in the right place. But we just kind of went for it, um, because I was suffocating as it was. And I added 8,000 square feet, and we went year round. Uh, previously Credles had been seasonal, and we went year-round. The reason for going year-round is that because I couldn't handle everything that was happening, I needed management. In order to find management, I needed to be year-round because who wants to work for six or nine months a year? How am I going to find a good person for that? Okay. And so then I, I – so we expanded. So I, I I wanted to do all these wholesale, op, wholesale things, all this basically taking uh, regional ingredients and turning them into a product that could be shipped all over the province or exported outside the province – And that was my plan to kind of sustain us in the winter, Um, slow the development of retail and focus on wholesale. And so the whole back part of Credles, like most people don't realize about a third of the business has nothing to do with what anyone sees. Mm. Mm. So that was my plan. And it's all coming together now, but So what happened in the interim? So I, uh, uh, well, I almost went bankrupt. Uh, And
1: quite publicly (laughs) for the region, right? Yeah,
3: very. Uh, I think it was on TV as far as Montreal. Right. Basically, I spent way too much on labor. Usually, your bank account would would be a, a measure of if things are going wrong. You don't have any money. But I had over a million dollars flow flow through my bank account over the course of about eighteen months. And by the time all the dust had settled, I I had spent like three hundred grand per year too much on labor.
1: Wow.
3: I just yeah. I don't know. I I just lost track of how much shit yeah. was happening.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what can I like? What if you know what's been so um fast I, I what I really admire about you, Dave, is your resilience. Right. Um so you go through this experience and you're you know you've 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 not learned a ton, right? But you never like my sense of you is even just never given up.
3: Well, I wasn't gonna be the one to pull the string, right? So you know I filed for I, I couldn't pay my mortgage anymore. I filed for creditor protection. I had paid off like the building actually pretty much got paid off. There's still about $75,000 out of like 1.3. So it's 5% that didn't get paid, but suppliers were left with like 450 grand um, and the rest was was friends and family and myself. I was the biggest creditor. Uh, everything that I had ever earned ever was in. I was so transparent about it. It, I was, it was beyond what my trustee even recommended that I do. Uh, like I went against some of his advice to be really forthright and transparent about it called most of my suppliers before I even filed um, and somehow made it through I put together an investment group that plan, that plan was to buy the the assets and then eventually sell them back to me things did not go properly with that group there was the intentions were probably positive the impact was not and so that fell apart then uh, the government stepped in Opportunities, New Brunswick yeah. made commitments, which now I find out aren't really necessarily always uh, reliable. That fell through three weeks later. Um, then that frustrated farm Credit so much that um, basically it was just let's push th- push this into court. I had I brought someone else to the table who was willing to put all the money up cash. But farm credit uh, had upped what they wanted. Uh, that was that was it. And so then we kind—I of, just—I just begged to make it to Christmas. But uh, December sixteenth was the day. Man, we liquidated. We just—you know—everything came out of the place. We're gonna have to go over because my lessons, man, they're they're good. Okay. Well, uh, let's get let's get into so, that. So then I walked into, So the day before court. Uh, We, you know, we were basically stripping the place, um, and my staff. I had resisted any kind of crowdfunding before because it's a for-profit business. That's ridiculous. My staff started a GoFundMe campaign on the last. day, I said, "Screw it, fine, do whatever you want." And uh, the next morning, had almost forty thousand dollars overnight. Excellent. But what was I going to do? I don't know. So we walked into court the next day, and I still don't even know know what happened. Like, I I I was on ninety minutes of sleep. I had probably had ten hours of sleep that whole week. It, It. just the judge basically forced them to give us another 30 days. And uh, a guy that we had been talking to before ultimately uh, stepped in and said, holy shit, I can't believe that Dave is still standing. This is ridiculous. Mm. And um, he uh, put up the, a bridge loan. And now the plan is we got approved for the New Brunswick Small Business Investor Tax Credit. So we're going to use that to raise some money to pay out the bridge loan. And that's our long-term solution. So that's, you know, the Coles notes, there's a lot of meat in there uh, that... that...
1: Here, here's, what we're gonna, here's what I'm going to suggest we do. I'm going to suggest this is two parts, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Because the part one is the story, and then part two we're going to jump into um, at another time about the lessons learned. Yeah. Okay? Because it's a good cliffhanger.
2: I think it's a great cliff, Right? And we How don't have we end? don't
1: have to mash it all into one. Yeah. So, are you up to that doing another one? Yeah, sure. With Wayne and I or Greg and I or Greg and Wayne or whatever mm-hmm. it's going to be? Yeah. Okay, because um it, there's a there's this is a really I mean, and this is by the way, for anyone listening, this is your life here. This is a real this is I mean, I, we're not even getting into the impact it had on, you know, on physically and emotionally and all those sorts of things. Mm. But um but if we're, I'm going to we're going to stop there. And, uh, cause Wayne, the other Wayne's given us, uh, the, the cane, <laughs> what are you, your take, quick takeaways and I'll to give a couple of quick takeaways and then we're going to get Dave back in here.
2: Okay. Perfect. I think, you know, resiliency, the, the ability to align what, what the core was and, uh, naively maybe, uh, for lack of a better word, that passion Sean from Pickaroon's description, hmm. your passion, is passion just was just overwhelming and It showed there was a huge need, huge void, uh, and he was filling it and just drinking, you know, water through a fire hose. And how do you cope with that? No sleep, no—and actually procuring a whole distribution system for farming and poultry. And, I mean, come on, Dave, you couldn't couldn't even do half that in your whatever. It's it's just—it's a lot. uh, Totally.
1: Well, and I guess, I mean, the the big thing I—I mean, there's a whole bunch here, Dave— um, the one I really appreciate about you is transparency. Like that's, yeah, that's you know, just facing it head on, and um, you know, and I, have, I you know, you and I have talked a handful of times, but I was kind of aware of what's happening, and um, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that were piling on. I know there's a lot of people that were are, are and have been rooting for you clearly through your staff. So that that yeah. that comes with someone who's going to be honest.
3: I ended up with the best team of staff imaginable. And ultimately, you know, a, a little bit of humbleness aside, if I'm proud of myself for one thing, it is not selling my integrity ever. Yeah. It yeah. is it is sticking as true to my intentions as possible. The problem is is to go from intention to action to results in one straight line is very difficult, but my support, I think, comes from my ability and my persistence to communicate my intent. And I think in one newsletter, you know, I said, thank you. Or no, it was in an article, I said, thank you for believing in my intentions, because mm. that's what it was.
1: Really quick. Last thing, how do people get read more about uh, you and your story? Uh, like, how do they find you?
3: Uh, well, I mean, Credles.com. dot com and uh, spelled K R E D L S dot com, and uh, pretty pretty active on Facebook page, and then in the newsletter. Uh, there's newsletter archives that have some good nuggets, uh, and certainly if you look through the newsletters in you know December 2016 and January 2017. That's when the public action happened. I didn't have a choice. I was dragged into the public, yeah. uh, and it is what it is. But
1: uh, so we're gonna we're gonna get you back. Sure, you up
3: for it? Yeah, of course.
1: Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Um, bearing a soul, <laughs> as he's done yeah. a few times. Yeah. Um, you you did the same sort of thing. Uh, thank you, Dave, for coming in. Um, Wayne, well, been it's a, been a
2: pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure. I I cannot believe this twelve hours has gone by and. Like four. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been, it's been, it's been a journey. <laughs> it's been a journey. Now right. I know why Greg leaves. Yeah. And he doesn't and come back dro- for months. Exactly. And we're gonna get,
1: we're gonna get Dave Wolpin in for, um, for part two. And we're gonna, I think we should put them together. We should smash. Uh, That'd be nice. All right. Later, guys. Later.
0: Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleash.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit Hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening. And remember, keep that pot boiling.